Hello, friends. In this week's episode of the Truest Fan Podcast, we're going to hear the person that I refer to as the other sage from Omaha, even though he actually lives and works across the river from Omaha in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Today, you're going to meet Ron Dickinson, an amazing person and financial advisor who's going to share a couple of really important ideas with us, a couple of important concepts that can be easy to forget. First of all, we're going to talk about the fact that things take time. Whether you're building a business or building a portfolio, you have to give it time. You can't be in a rush, even though the world pushes us to move fast. And Ron also shares his favorite expression, never sacrifice who you are for what you want. Priceless wisdom for growing as a person and growing as a business owner. I hope you'll listen in. You're listening to the Truest Fan Podcast. And now, here's your host, Rob Brown. All right. Welcome, folks. Uh, welcome back to the Truest Fan Podcast. I am super excited today because I have with us, uh, or we have with us, Ron Dickinson, the founder and CEO of Dickinson Investments. Uh, Ron is a longtime client, and I consider him to be a very important person, friend in my life. Uh, so it's really great to have uh, Ron on the call. Welcome, Ron. Hey, thanks, Rob. Glad to be here. So as I get started on the podcast, I oftentimes throw out the question, who's your favorite baseball team because one of the inspirations for the Truest Fan book is my being a Truest Fan of the Cleveland Indians, uh, now known as the Guardians. But I know Ron is not a huge baseball fan. So I'm going to ask a little different question. Hey, Ron, what is your favorite hobby? Oh, my favorite hobby. I, I like to bicycle. And uh, not just around town. I, I do a lot of endurance bicycle, long distances. And so my largest trip, I rode across the United States with my son. And uh, I've done several tours up in uh, Alaska and the Yukon and Utah and around the country. So a couple weeks, I'm going up the Northwest uh, part of the United States for a three-week tour. And just a good adventure. It's adventuring. It's long distance. It's challenging. It's mountains. I, I enjoy it. Hard work. So in addition to seeing the beauty and obviously it's great uh, exercise, what, what else do you get out of biking like that? Because for some people riding like across the United States, it took you a few months to do that. Sure did. It could be sound boring, right? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it's not for everybody, but it, it's you always have to have a goal in front of you to inspire you to improve. And so when my son first suggested we do that, I, I said, I don't know how to do that, but I'll figure it out. And so do a lot of studying, had to get a different kind of bicycle, had to get different equipment, had to train myself differently. So you just start thinking through all the aspects, what it takes to accomplish it. Uh, you read lots of blogs and other advice from people, and then you, you start working towards the goal. So part of it, the planning is exciting to me and the training. And I might train for a year for something very diligently. And a lot of people wouldn't enjoy that, but always keeping that long-term vision in front of you. And then when you go do it the first time, I remember the first time I rode in Colorado, I, I didn't think I was capable and I was going up a mountain and I just stopped and almost had an emotional moments. Like I'm here, I'm really doing this. It's, 
something I visualized, I wanted to be able to do, I wasn't sure I could, and here I am doing it. And so you break through those barriers and then, then it becomes more common, more acceptable, and you start believing in yourself. So all these different endurance trips are accomplishing and belief, and then once you're doing it, you kind of relax and enjoy the scenery around you and all the beauty. Yes, there's beauty, there's hard work, there's breathing, there's going up a mountain and coming down fast on the other side. To, to me, that's it's just rewarding experience that I agree it's not for everybody. Yeah, no, and, yeah, and I wasn't trying to minimize it at all, but you, you really pulled out one of the things I was hoping that you would say, the fact that by doing those rides and in, in some ways at the beginning thinking, hey, this is something that I can't do. And then you do it and you get to the top of that mountain in Colorado and you say, you know, hey, I really believe in myself. That planning, that preparation, that desire really allowed me to believe even more in myself and being able to do things that maybe I otherwise thought were impossible or I'd even thought about doing. And, you know, as you know, that's one of the lessons of being a truest fan is believing in yourself. Yes. So I've always been, most of my life, I set very large goals that are beyond my current ability. I dream about them, have passion about them, and then I just keep diligently working towards them. And most of them have been able to accomplish, not everything. So I remember early in life too, it's like, unless you reach a point of failure, you don't know where that boundary was. And so if you just sit in a safe spot the whole time, you don't know what you could have done. And some people might look at that and say, but if I get out and fail, then I'm somehow diminished that I'm less, you know, that, that feels bad. And it does temporarily. I've had rides like that where it just didn't work. But I want to know where that line is, how far I can push myself. And I'm not some super, super athlete that ever be notoriety or anything, but I just want to know where the lines are, both in business and physically and relationships, et cetera, how, how I can make the best of this. Right. Because sometimes when you hit that barrier that maybe you call it failure, think of it as failure, it's just telling you where your limits are now. And there's maybe something else that you need to go back to do to prepare better so you can break through it the next time. So that point, that barrier, that perceived point of failure is just, just a, a current limitation that you can work through if it's something that you really want to do. Yeah. I had a, a do not finish in Colorado. It means I abandoned the ride. It was uh... 125 miles, three mountain passes, and I got about halfway through it. And altitude sickness and undertrained, and I broke down. I had to abandon it. It felt low for a few days, and then I started breaking it down into steps of what it would take to accomplish it. It's like, well, how do you handle altitude? You live out there for a while. Maybe I'm too heavy. Maybe I'm not trained enough. Lift weights, nutrition. I break five or six different areas, and then I start dissecting those areas and say, how do I maximize myself at each one? And uh, because of COVID, I haven't been able to be out there to accomplish it, but that'll be the end of this summer, I have a plan to, to go back. So I've been working on those things. I haven't maximized every one of them perfectly, but pretty confident now. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. I can't wait to um, get word from you that you've um, made it this time because I uh, I have a strong feeling that you that you will. So that that takes me to to another question, um, changing gears a little bit. You know, we all get advice during our lives that stick with us, you know, little nuggets of, of wisdom or truth. Are there one or two thoughts that you kind of keep with you all of the time as you are striving to do new things? You know, you talked about it as it relates to biking, but you also briefly mentioned that some of those same thoughts apply to business. Is there a kind of a nugget or a grain that carries you through that? Yeah, when I first started, I started my business when I was really young. I was 26, so I went out on my own. But uh, a wise, older gentleman, I was talking to him, and he said to me, and this is back in the 80s, he goes, 
how do you make a million dollars? That was significant money back then. Still is, but significant. And he goes, $100 at a time. And you think, well, that's simple. I can go make $100. But there's a process then working towards the big goal of the million dollars. If I make $100, save the $100, how long will that take me? And you can figure it out. And that's the truth. It's, everything has a process to it. Everything has a, you know, if you set a big goal, there's really micro steps you can use to work towards that goal. So I'm very analytical and very goal setting person. I've always set large goals long term and you see how far I can push it. And then years and years ago, I read something. I wish I could remember the author of it, uh, but there was a quote that I put on my email now that says, never trade who you are for what you want. Because sometimes, in, especially in business, it's easy to start down a slippery slope of your dreams are so big that you start cutting corners. You start cheating a little or not treating the other party to the equation, how they should be treated just to get what you want. And you start trading your core values of who you believe in yourself, faith-wise and value systems and relationships. You start trading those off for that goal. And we know sometimes those goals, when you achieve them, are a little bit hollow, unless you did it the right way. Uh, so I have that on my email for years and years, more than a decade, and it's still there. It's just a reminder to myself and a reminder to other people who hopefully you can trust me. And I want to be a trustworthy person that other people put faith in to help them in an honest manner. So never sacrifice who you are for what you do. What you want, what you want. So who I am, my core values that I live by day by day, faith and value systems, your true north, some people will say, always keep focused on that and never deviate from it, even if it hurts you, even if uh, you don't get something or the other person wins, you never trade that off. And we come to challenges like that all the time in business where you have to make a decision like, oh, I made a mistake and it cost somebody some dollars, maybe cost somebody a client a thousand dollars, but I really should make good on that. I should pony up tell them a mistake was made and uh, cover it as part of my business expenses. Or you could say, but nobody's going to find out if I don't say anything. They'll never be found out. And so occasionally, if, if people jokingly criticize me, they might say, you're transparent. You're too transparent, Ron. And I go, that's one of my core values is everything's on the table. Even if you don't know about it, if I feel it wasn't right or whatever, I'm going to always throw all my cards on the table and do what I believe is right in your behalf. And uh, we're called to do that in our business as fiduciaries, but I try to live it. I'm not saying I'm a Satan anyway, but I have a system that I start feeling guilty if I don't too. It'll drive me nuts. So it's always, uh, there's another concept I read and it was uh, always do more than you're paid and soon you'll be paid more than you do. Kind of plays into that in a non-financial way. Always do what's right. Always treat the other person best. And then It'll come around to you. So in marriage, the same thing. If you're always thinking of your spouse, you want what's right for her, then you'll get what you want in the end from that. And if you try to be selfish, it'll come back and hurt you in a way. So, so it's a little bit of a karma thing that you do what's right all the time. Yeah, no, I... I hear what you're saying. Because it, it has, when you live that way, and sometimes it even talking about it almost sounds like a brag. And, right. And we're also called to be humble. Right. But in reality, when we have that in our mindset and we live that way and we think about it consciously in all the interactions that we have in life, whether it's working with somebody on our team or working with a client or having a disagreement uh, with a family member, if that's always there, it kind of creates um, some momentum that just allows it to build and show and spread. Because when I think about somebody living with that kind of value, that kind of integrity, you know, I think about how it radiates around them. You can just see how it impacts their decisions and other people in their lives. And it's it's like that light that's hard to dim. You know, maybe the a cloud passes in front of it every once in a while, but the light is still there. 
And, and you're right, though, you have to be very careful because if you, it can, you can come across as bragging, you just, especially when you combine it with heavy passion. So when I get excited about things, I have heavy passion. And, and so I've been accused of that before. Or I perceive that egotistical in the short run. But in the long run, I think it wins out in trust and strength with other relationships eventually. So, so is, is there anything that you do to intentionally share those values, that integrity with your, with your family, with, especially with your, with your kids, or do you just live the way that you feel that you should live and then hope that it transfers to them or some, you know, some combination of the two? Yeah. So hope's not a strategy, right? <laughs> but I, I think for the most part, I, I try to live that way. Uh, for people that I don't have permission to share with, I try to demonstrate integrity and, and thinking about them. But with my kids and my wife, we talk about it directly and I try to model and I might come home and, and say, here's what I did. You saw what I did. Here's why I did that. And here's what I hope the result is. So uh, I think part of that transparency and with your family is to mentor them. And my boys are grown now. And my oldest one is ready to be mentored by him in some respects. He's turned out to be a good man. So the it takes a lot of mentoring. And I think between my spouse, my wife and I, we have mentored each other over the years. So when you get married, you tend to grow to a new creation that's different than either one of you individually. So hopefully I've influenced her and she's definitely influenced me towards certain things. And so that's a slow process over time, meld together. And co-workers, same thing. I, I've been very blessed with long-term, long-term good workers. And I hope that is an interplay of this thinking of each other first. Yeah. Um, well, as I mentioned to the audience a bit ago, we worked together for a long time. And that's certainly one thing that I could witness to is that those values that you have have certainly spilled over to your team because there's some great folks who really care about each other, but also when we have conversations about what's going on in the business, the, the client first high integrity attitude is is very evident. Does that way of, of living and being and thinking influence who you like to take on and work with as a client? You know, because sometimes, you know, in the industry, we get really hung up on, you know, know, my ideal client has X number of dollars or their bank account or their net worth is this big. And we've, we've put aside the other stuff and cross our fingers and kind of hope we get along. Is there anything that you do or think of intentionally that really helps you determine who you can serve best? Well, early in life, I'd say when I first started business, I would take anybody that had the ability to pay me, I, you know, and uh, that backfires sure. eventually. I did get to a point probably 15 years ago where I was willing to fire clients or release clients or reposition them to somebody else. And the, the satisfaction of that is somebody who creates negative energy for you, having that off your plate is just so tremendous. I, I haven't had to be overly selective lately. I, I have clients that I enjoy. You know, you could, when you meet with a prospect, you can tell, I'm really going to enjoy this client. We, we dovetail, our core values dovetail, or their mode of operating in life, we dovetail together. And so I, I think there's an attraction process that you know when the fit is natural. And then there's other prospects I meet with that maybe I just don't encourage as strongly. Or they're not, they're not a good fit for me, but they may be for my partner or the other people working here. So not everybody likes me and we don't all connect chemically with each other, but they might with somebody else if they're a valid client. I am getting more selective 
as time goes, is limited amount of time, limited number of years left with it. So I've been, I feel very, very blessed in my relationships. I'm not sure I selected clients or they just dovetail together between employees and family and customers. I have a lot of, a lot of great relationships in life that I enjoy. Well, I think that's part of that is um, attraction that comes from the things that we were just talking about Could a little be. bit ago, that those, those values, that integrity, because it does reflect on those people that are around you. Because for some people that might just not be what they're what they're looking for for whatever reason. Yeah, and I've been, you know, customers, I've had some customers for 30 years now, and uh, they're not like you go out to a movie together or dinner together, but they're friends after a certain amount of time. And right. you want to do what's best for them. You have an obligation and that employees 10, 15 years or more that been blessed with. Right. And I guess to maybe to put that in, in perspective, you started out, although your primary business now is that of an RIA, you started out as a CPA and did tax work for years. And then that spawned a small kind of fledgling RIA business that that's when we first met. And since then it's grown to um, a very significant practice with uh, several hundred million dollars um, under management and, and grows every year. And it's a great business. Yeah. An exponential curve to it that's worked really nicely. But yeah, it started doing tax returns, nuts and bolts, and serving people, and had big clients, had really small clients. And I used to say I didn't care if the person across the desk was a millionaire or a welfare mother. When they had their hour or two with me, they were king or queen of that hour. And my job is to help them maximize their situation. And uh, over time, I don't know if I deselected clients or selected others, but they just kept growing and growing types of clients. But I did a lot of tax returns, business returns, and uh, um, at one point, we decided to start up an RA practice because I was just, actually, people were requesting it from me. Like, I want you to manage my money. One guy just kept saying that. I go, I don't do that. I'm a CPA, and he goes, but I want you to do it, and I'm retiring next year. And I started thinking about it, and I go, well, maybe I could. And <laughs> so I went and took the PFS from the CPA Society and got my CFP license and uh, started small, you know, just uh, under $10 million the first couple of years, and just started working those services, figuring it out, and modeling other people that I respect, and uh, it just kept growing. Yeah, so we're up probably $350 million right now management. Um, got two other advisors with me in the office. So yeah, it's been very nice. It's great. I, I sold the CPA firm a number of years. It's a great team. You know, one of the things that you said that I think is really important to reemphasize when you talked about that hour that you gave a client, whether it was a small client or a, or a big client, you always reminded yourself that that was their hour. And I, I think that's really important and good to think about because in this world, it is so easy to be distracted, especially if we're doing more stuff online and we allow ourselves to be, yeah. um, to be distracted, you know, and we do, we do things that we wouldn't do if we were sitting one-to-one -one with our best client. You know, we, if we were sitting with our best client in a one-to-one -one meeting, we wouldn't check our text messages or our email or, you know, whatever it might be, uh, we would give them our full attention. And I think when we're, uh, working with a client or talking to a prospect, maybe even one that we may choose not to bring on as a client, they gave us, you know, a lot of respect by coming to us and saying, hey, you know, can you help me? Would be we be a good fit for each other? So give them that hour, give them that attention. And that can carry over into the way that you mentor your kids or your teammates or serve on the causes that you care about. Yeah, it's it's really obvious when you're not engaged. And my wife reminds me of that constantly. Would you look up from your whatever you're reading to listen to what I'm trying to tell you? Right, right. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, so that's her mentoring to me. And I mm -hmm. Don't do it on purpose, but I do yeah. it. And I apologize and then re-engage. It's too, uh, <laughs> so, too easy. Yeah, but with clients, you, you need to be engaged. So it can tell the difference.
起来。Are you ready to discover your true purpose, live with impact, and build an ever greater legacy? Then you need to make time for what truly matters most. Go to truestfan.com/challenge to begin the free Truest Fan seven-day quick start. So um, I think my favorite lesson of the seven Truest Fan lessons is that smiles and kind words go a long way. What do you do to make other people smile? Hey, that's off the cuff. So <laughs> we we do a lot of joking in the office and poke at each other a little bit, and at least the the, the guys in the office do. We, sometimes maybe it carries too far, but we, we enjoy that banter in a, in a friendly way, and just maybe come in and tell tell somebody smile. Otherwise, just compliment them or just when they did something well, tell them they did something well. But we tend to be a very focused firm, and sometimes too much head down and quiet, and go about our business. And uh, once in a while, you just got to break up that monotony a little bit. So I say that's maybe not the best person. That. <laughs> yeah, I, I I actually think you're very good at it because to me part of that is you know that those kind words and that acknowledgement that you give people regularly, and I just think that is so important because there are times like like we're going through now with the market where people may be a little bit more on edge, making sure that they have the proper perspective and they're realizing that the planning that's done, the work that's been done, is putting them on the right track that they don't have to put their uh, put their head down with customers. Clients helping them understand that they're going to be okay. And I still remember back in 2008 when the market was crashing, unraveling, and I was very nervous. And I remember talking to you, and you said something about, "Oh, they had five million. Now they only have four million. You know, that's a real problem, isn't it?" And it's like, "Oh, from a 35,000 foot view, it's not a problem. They still have plenty of wealth, but from their perspective, it's very nervous. And maybe with seasonality, my life, it's I'm getting better at coaching people to let them know it's okay." These are normal cycles. This is even this last one where the market dropped twenty percent. You show them statistics or remind them of other cycles we've been through. Say this is statistically in bounds. This is typical that this happens. It's normal. It's even healthy, even though we don't like it. And your financial plan is in order, and we predicted all this stuff already. And it's going to be okay. And once you live through some of those really bad cycles and saw the resiliency, that eventually the market comes back. You have more faith in it. Yes, I have a lot of faith in our. Our economy, even though it gets tough at times. Yeah, and I think that's one of the ways that you um, that I when I think about you and the way that you encourage your team and your clients on, on, on the business side of things is you speak about that resilience of the economy, and you know that's also I think part of your core beliefs. Yeah, that this is a great country, and we can't forget that as we're living our lives and planning for the future. I believe in capitalism. I believe in America, and there's times there's negative parts to it. There's a, it's a greed-based system, unfortunately, and greed takes us too high and takes us too low and fear, and but eventually it works out for the betterment of everybody, overall good. And, and so even when chips are down, you have a confidence, a faith that there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. You don't want to be backed into a corner, though. I had a relative used to say when he was younger, he go make a bad decision. He goes, what else could I have done? And it's like, well, now that you're in the corner, nothing, but you could have not got yourself back into that corner by doing these steps ahead of time. So not having excessive debt, having things paid off, having living on less than you make. All the things that make you successful actually sound kind of boring. They're not some magical pyramid formula that you need to be involved in. And uh, stick to the knitting, do the basic things right over a long period of time. And just reminding people they've done it. 
and they're in the position to be safe and, and they're okay. That's part of our job. We do as much counseling as we do money management. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just a couple of more questions. Uh, one sort of a quick question. Is your firm currently accepting new clients? Good question. Yes, we are. You know, we always say we're busy, but we're always looking for more. Okay. And so we're, we're fortunate to be blessed. Successful, but yeah. So with that in mind, there might be some folks who are listening to this call who resonate with your values, or maybe they're bicyclists too, or I didn't say that you are located in, you know, Council Bluffs, Iowa, right outside of Omaha. So those are all things that um, on top of this great discussion, people might say, hey, I'd love to talk with Ron or somebody on his team. What's the best way to, um, to connect with you and kind of figure out if uh, you're a good fit for each other? So a lot of people will go to our website just to investigate. And so that's Dickinson investments.com and um, see my name on the screen for how you spell Dickinson investments.com and we have uh, videos we post every week a podcast we do called one thing this week and um, all three of us will post one so you could watch those and just say is this somebody I've been working with great yeah you're or you can call us directly seven. Yeah, I'll put your contact info in the show notes but I would um, sorry for the barking in the background it yeah, it, it is. Real. It's definitely yeah. uh, real. But anyway, it's a long story. I won't go into why he's he's barking. It's kind of kind of bad, bad timing. But um, I'll put in the show notes how to how to get in touch with you so that to make it clear. And, and one thing that I would also um, encourage folks to do who might be interested in talking to you is every week, Ron and or someone on his team posts a, a short podcast video um, called One Thing This Week, and they do a great job with that. So that's something to um, to look for. So last uh, last question, Ron, is, you know, reflecting on what we've talked about so far, thinking about your values, the importance of not sacrificing who you are for what you want, uh, realizing that things take time. There's a process to, to things that building a, a, a million dollar portfolio starts a hundred dollars a time. You share these great nuggets. Is there anything that you have that maybe pulls that together or you want to share with the audience uh, before we log off? I think it's just important to have perspective of have a certain passion in life and always be learning. And even when I enter into retirement years, I don't plan on stopping and sitting in a chair. I hope to ride my bike as long as possible, but there'll be a point where I can't. But you you always want to be learning and pushing. It keeps life interesting. Otherwise, it's just going to get boring. And I've seen people kind of settle into a routine that's not very exciting for them, and then they lose interest in life. And uh, so the old baseball analogy, you want to come in, sliding in to home plate, all scraped up and leaving nothing. Do nothing on the Nothing field behind yeah so live life to the fullest have passion and whatever it is for you enjoy enjoy other people and relationships and yeah and i think you've it. demonstrated to the audience that that's what you do and you're biking uh, with the way that you love and care for your family and the way that you've built a great business so um, it's been excellent having you as a guest on the truest fan podcast thank you so much and thank you all for uh, for listening in please leave your comments uh, rate the show we love to hear how we're doing on the truest fan podcast and until next week remember uh, i'm rooting for your success take care